Welcome to Agi from Adversity. My name is Julie Love, and today we have a wonderful guest from Germany. And my book is called A Gift from Adversity, and this is published in 2020. And we um, start, I started this podcast at the beginning of this year, hoping to normalize this difficult conversation. This book is available on Amazon, and it's called A Gift from Adversity by Julie Love, and I'm your host. So, Violetta, please tell us your name and What you do, where you're located, and social media website handle stuff. Hello, Jury. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. I am Violetta Plishakova, currently based in Berlin, Germany, was born and raised in Russia, lived all over the world, and here I am in Europe now. I am a spiritual mentor, transformational trainer, and leadership development expert. I run a mystery school called Temple of Starfire, where I support women with unlocking their magic and elevating their intuitive gifts and their leadership. And you can find out more on templeofstarfire.com. And I also am a co-founder of a business called The Firepower Group, which is a self-mastery and leadership development platform. And that is on thefirepowergroup.com. And my Instagram is at Temple of Starfire underscore at the end. I spend a lot of time there, so come say hi. Great. And I locate, I'm located in Massachusetts, uh, United States, so it's really wonderful to have international guests. Yeah, I'm looking at you across the ocean. Yes, yes. And I've had a friend from Germany when I was an exchange student. Her name, her name is uh, Julia. And Julian and I became a good friend. She was a photographer. I have a really good memory with her because we were both international students. And then her English was excellent and mine was really bad. So <laughs> like, um, I was so jealous of her. <laughs> But anyways, that's my first encounter of uh, a friend from uh, Germany. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's jump into our first topic, which is the adversity. So what was your adversity? So my adversity is centered around the theme of loss, death of a loved one, deep grief. And I will use the term dark night of the soul, which to me refers to a deep initiation and redefinition of the very essence of who I am. It's the feeling of losing myself, not knowing who I am anymore, but then finding myself in an even deeper and more meaningful way as the result of going through this process of grieving and losing someone I love dearly, which was my father. That was my initiation into grief and adversity. And you mentioned earlier you lost other family members as well. Yes, so it all happened in a kind of mysterious way. In 2016, my grandfather passed away, and I was very close with him. He was the man who shaped me. He is the man behind my, my brain, my creativity. Then half a year later, my grandmother passed away. Then a year later, another grandmother passed away. And then a year later, an, another grandfather. And the thing is, I grew up in Russia, in Moscow, with four grandparents, very close. So they were not some grandparents who you see once a month or once a year. They were part of my daily life. I was raised by that very tight, tightly knit family. So grandparents were 
most important people in my life um, on par with my parents. And how all of them just died within three years, it was it was surreal. The only conversation with my parents was about funerals, cemeteries, um, memorial services and things like that. So like for three years, the entire family was in this grieving process. And then just after that was done, immediately after that was done, my father was diagnosed with lung cancer. And for two years, we were going through chemotherapy, alternative therapy, this therapy, that therapy, not knowing, not even being able to plan what will happen. And it was like in all in all, in all five years of living on the edge of loss recovering from one loss and then going into another round of loss. In parallel, trying to build a business, trying to establish my own life, trying to have a personal life. And I feel like now looking back during those five years, I feel like a bit about 50% of my brain capacity and my energy was occupied by grief or anticipatory grief, thinking, what if he dies? Who is the next one who's going to die? So it was quite a quite a big portion of my life. I would say like first half of my 30s was essentially spent grieving, going to cemeteries, funerals and so on. Um, so tell our audience how close you were with your father. Yeah, I was extremely close with him. I think it was the biggest blessing of my life to have the relationship, father-daughter relationship that I've had with him. I don't know any other woman in my social circle or amongst my clients who have been blessed with something similar because often daughters have distance with their dads or there are wounds and some kind of friction. But me and my dad, we were like soul friends. We were on the same wavelength. And he was the reason I started doing the work that I do now. He was the reason why I got interested in philosophy, in spirituality, in esoterics in yoga in personal development because he was deeply immersed in all of that and what was especially challenging around his illness and then losing him is the fact that it challenged my spiritual beliefs it challenged the foundational beliefs around my work where we teach people that you can create your reality you with your mindset through through changing the way you think you can change your outcomes. But he tried all of that and it did not change his outcome. And so after after he died, I was faced with this big question of, but what do I believe in? If he, the person who was most determined, most disciplined, most dedicated to making all those tools work, if he had the level of faith that he had and he could not beat cancer just with mindset alone, how, what is what is there for the rest of us? You know, if the most determined, strong, most, if the strongest person I knew could not be strong enough to beat it, what does that mean for me? And losing him got me to deeply question, who am I? What do I believe in? How much control do I really have over my life? And it pushed me to the edge of things like trust and surrender and connection with higher powers, connection with destiny, understanding that there is a limit to what we can control. There is a limit to what we can change. There, there are some things that we can wish and try and do all the spiritual work, all the inner work, 
but still it's just not meant to be. And for him, unfortunately, he tried until the very last day. You know, I've never seen somebody be so devoted and dedicated to his practices, to his mindset work, to his prayers, affirmations, you name it. He was doing it all. But still, you know, his soul had to leave. And there was also a lot of beauty and mystery also and this liminality around his passing and how it went and what happened after the kind of connection I developed with him now that he's on the other side. So all that is um, is very deep and there's a lot of emotion around that too. I'm sorry to hear the loss. And so your father had a lung cancer, correct? Yes. Yeah, so one of my audience commented what, what, what caused your father's cancer. So... Yeah, and the thing is, he. it's hard to say, you see, with lung cancer, they usually say that survival rate is not very high, only 20% make it past first three years after diagnosis. And unfortunately, statistics was not in our favor. He thought he could be the exception. And because of the kind of person he was, you know, he was a very charismatic person. Uh, he taught me a lot about leadership and entrepreneurship. When he would walk into the room, people would like realize, okay, this person has presence. He uh, would walk into his uh, chemo uh, treatment and not complain even once. He would have to go through like gruesome tests, like, you know, like, oh, I don't even want to describe it, but gruesome tests and medical procedures. He did not wink once. That's the kind of willpower and, and the presence he had. And I lost my soul. Why am I saying that? Yeah, so he, he like, if anyone could have beaten the odds, it would have been him. He deserved it, and he was convinced that he would. So it was a very humbling experience to watch him in the last three months of his life. So things have mm, taken turn for the worse about like three months before his passing. And the doctor said, we give him one month. He lost his three. I somehow thought he's going to last six. I thought he would live until his 60th birthday. So he passed in August. His birthday would have been in January this year. He would have been 60. And to me, it's like it was so hard this year when his birthday came, January 25th. He would have turned 60 and to not have him there, it was, it was again, surreal and weird and heartbreaking. And unfortunately, he did not beat the odds regardless of everything he, he tried. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, so when he passed or going through this um, treatment stuff, how was your mental health stage? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? I didn't hear you. So how were you doing yourself? Not not your father. Yeah. He was going through. How was your mm-hmm. mental health and how was your feeling in the stage? So for me, I, I partly, I have to admit, I was partly in denial because he was so upbeat. He did not show any weakness, and he was convinced that he was going to recover. That's why we, the immediate family, kind of decided to play along. Because with any time we would try to bring it up with him, like, hey, you are possibly dying, we need to make arrangements. Uh, He also did not um, have a will or a a testament. 
there was like there were things to be to be taken care of in terms of property and inheritance and so on. He refused to have those conversations, and we did not push it. So we kind of went partially in denial, just to cope. And I feel that like about again like fifty percent of my brain capacity was occupied by trying to cope with different scenarios because I was here in Berlin, he was in Moscow, and he also had property in France that had to be managed. And I was sitting here being like, do I now pause my life and move to Moscow to be with him? And I was unable to decide because it's not like I I can't just overnight pack pack my life here and just move. Also, I didn't want to move there. You know, there is a reason why I moved to Europe. I I didn't want to live in Russia. I live in Europe. This is where my life is. This is where my business is. I need to be here. But then in May, when things have taken a turn for the worse, I thought, okay, let me go for a month. Let me go and see. And I am so happy I went because I got to spend one month with him and I got to care for him. I think there is very special grace. It's a very special, graceful and humbling experience and heart opening experience to care for someone who is terminally ill and to care, especially if it's a parent or a loved one, to do that with devotion and to do that with absolute selflessness. So for one month, I was there with him and I could do things for him like massage his back. He said, I'm the only one who can do it properly. Nobody else can do it properly. Only I could do it properly. So uh, we had this special spray that he liked, aroma spray that I would put on his back and massage that spot. And after he died, I have taken, there were like three bottles left of that spray. I have taken it with me. And now sometimes when I miss him, I open the bottle and I just spray it on my hand and I smell it. And it's bringing me back to that experience. And I hope the supply of those two or three bottles will last my whole lifetime. So I can sometimes just smell it. Now I'm I'm crying remembering that. Like I would cook him things that he liked and just sit with him. And also last year it was in June and then at some point, the Euro Soccer Cup started and we were watching soccer. It was one of the best memories now that we got to share at least some joy, you know, how we were rooting for our favorite teams. And of course, he was weak. He had to lie down a lot. He couldn't walk, but we could spend this time and we could go to the countryside, to the house that he that he loved. And it was it was a beautiful month. But then I had to come back to Berlin because honestly, I was also mm, starting to experience caregivers burnout. I did not have enough capacity to run my business and to care for him. And I was like, okay, I need to have a break. I need to go back to Berlin. I thought, let me go. Let me regroup. Let me mm, work with my clients, take care of my business, just take care of my obligations so that it doesn't like come to a halt because I have to keep sustaining myself. So I went back. And again, I was in that state of not knowing what to do. And I thought, okay, let me find someone to subrent my apartment to. And I was starting to think, okay, I will subrent my apartment for like three months and I will just pack up and I will go to Moscow and I will just spend as much time as I can with him. But guess what? I was too late. And I will never forget that on 8th of August, in the morning, I was I woke up at five o'clock, which never happens. I woke up from feeling pain in my heart. 
I felt like this tremendous pain in my heart. I did not know what was happening. It's like as if my insides were just like turning, turning and turning and turning. And I was lying in my bed thinking, what is happening? Is this some kind of spiritual activation? What am I feeling? I've spent the whole day in that state of unrest. And then the next day, August 9th, it kind of continued. But I was sitting down in the morning. He sent me a message on WhatsApp saying, hey, we are uh, in the countryside. We have just arrived. And I thought, let me finish what I have to do for work. Because that day I was supposed to announce a new workshop and I was really busy with building the sales page for the workshop, um, doing all the stuff around that. I thought just a couple of hours, let me get this done, then I'm going to call him and I'm going to speak with him and we will discuss properly when am I coming next. And so guess what happened? So, And I will never forget that moment because that day I have effectively chosen my work and my purpose over my father. Because I used to be a person who was obsessed with her purpose for me my work is my purpose and for me it would always come first and on that day I parked my father's message and I thought work first then then that and I I regret that now because just as I hit publish on the workshop sales page I pick up my phone I literally pick up my phone to call him and I see that there was a missed call from my mom and she says call me back and I got immediately worried because she already called me that day and there was no reason for her to call again. And so when I called her, she just said in Russian, she said, which means your dad is no longer. And I just like, I just went cold. I just like, I, everything just froze. The world just stopped and all the only thing I could feel was him and then it makes sense that feeling from the day before of being like turned inside out I I felt him passing because I'm also someone who has intuitive abilities and psychic abilities I work a lot in the liminal realms I work a lot with energies I can sense that and with all of my grandparents I knew when they were about to die I knew it I knew things like that since childhood but I think with him, I deliberately did not know, but I felt it. I felt it in my body. And so, you know what I've done? Like, I knew, like, I have to book my flights. I have to go immediately. I have to just um, do whatever I need to do. I was operating like, like, like a zombie. I immediately unpublished the workshop page. I booked my flights. I arranged somebody to come and take care of my cat. And, and then I ran myself a bath. I got into a bath. Because it was the only place in the whole house that felt like comfort and safety. I could not find a place that would feel safe. I couldn't sit. I couldn't lie down. I couldn't be outside. I didn't know if I wanted to talk to people or if I wanted to be alone. So I just, I just, I just got into a bath and I screamed and I wailed. It was like that primal, primal grief. It, it had to have an outlet. And I was just like wailing in that bath for I don't know how long. And that night I could not sleep and I felt him and a lot of things were just being revealed why he passed, why it happened now, why on that day, you know, it was all like chuk, 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 downloading into me. And that's, that was like the first, the first part. And then the next part was of course, coming to Moscow, having the funeral and then facing the reality of, you know, nobody talks about it. I think enough, 
that when somebody passes, like you have now this whole chunk of work around what do I do with their stuff? What do I do with all the admin they left behind? What do I do with this inheritance process? What do I just do with all the phone calls, people calling, uh, wanting to know what happened and so on? Because he did not tell a lot of his friends. Some of his closest friends did not know that he was sick because he thought he was going to recover. And me, my mom, my half-sister and her mom, we were like all thrown together because it's also, you know, sidestep, side interesting story. So he was married to my mom. They got divorced. Then he married again. He had my half-sister. Then they divorced. And then he married my mom one year before dying. So it's a very interesting loop. So, and nobody can understand all this complicated family dynamic. Like, who are these women? Who is who? The ages do not add up. Like, my sister is 11 years old. She could have been my daughter, you know, but she's my half-sister. And we were, like, thrown into the same boat together, having to deal with all that, having to organize all this stuff, at the same time, feeling this profound loss. And I was like... I don't, I don't know if I, I, I did, I, I did not think I'll ever be able to work again. You know, that's how it impacted me because I was like, if he is dead after doing all this spiritual work, uh, if he died just immediately after realizing his true purpose, because in the last two months of his life, he got obsessed with purpose, with connecting with God. He spent a lot of time in prayer, asking God to reveal what is what is his purpose? What is his purpose? And he got his answer. And I'm like, if he died after understanding his purpose without having had a chance to live it, what, what am I even doing? Like, why was I prioritizing my purpose so much that I didn't even pick up the phone to call him? Why was I sitting there working, working, working? So it got me to question the very, the very foundations of my life, like building a business, having a spiritual business, uh, coaching people, teaching all that mindset stuff and so on, consciousness work, I had to really sit with myself and sort through all of that in the aftermath of my grief and just reconcile all the contradictions and all the paradoxes around that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your adversity. And then um, loss of the family member is definitely uh, something that we don't talk way too much about because um they just kind of go through it but i appreciate you openly openly sharing it with our audience and your feeling and then how you felt so moving on to the second question which is the tools so what kind of tools do you think it was helpful for you to overcome this and then challenge you have experienced yeah, thank you for this great question. So what I have realized, the only thing that helped me was to treat grief as sacred, to give it space, to go all in. I know not everyone has the space in their life to do that. And I think that is the tragedy of the Western world, where sometimes people don't even get leave from work to, to, to grieve their loved ones. They get like maybe a week and then you are expected to rejoin society. While I think as grief brain is real, you know, like 80% of my brain was occupied by grief and grief is a very physical experience. Sometimes I could not find it in me to get out of bed. And so what I did there is allowed myself to 
put my body first. I think grief needs to be a visceral experience, just like I read a boss and I allowed myself to wail. And what also helped a lot is attending breathwork classes. I attended several breathwork classes where we used the breath to move with emotions. Again, it's a physical experience. So I think this applies not only to grief, but also to any intense experience, including anger, uh, any form of loss, where there is just a lot that we are required to hold. We, I feel what helps is we have to work with our bodies and live it through the body. Because if we do not live it through our bodies, if we do not feel those emotions, if we do not make space to process and to really kind of, you know, allow the waves to rock us, it will not disappear. It will just get condensed, you know, like you swap it under the rug and then it will show up as psychosomatic illnesses and so on. I have seen that in my clients too. So I would urge anyone going through that is to, instead of kind of hiding and trying to like bottle it up and hold it together, open to it. Because when your heart is breaking, it is not breaking, it is being rearranged. So what I have done is I did my best to minimize all my commitments. I finished my work with the clients that I had. I have taken a break uh, from some projects. And then I took a break from clients from work for about like two or three months. Because one day I was about to see a client and I realized that I just can't. I literally cannot. Like I have no words coming out of my mouth. I have no emotional energy in my heart to do it. I have taken a break and I decided that I'm just going to go all in. There were days where I thought I will never recover. I honestly thought I would never recover. I thought my life has no meaning anymore. I do not understand what I'm doing. Whatever I've been doing before makes no sense. Prioritizing work and purpose makes no sense. Is this purpose even worth it, you know? <laughs> and so I allowed myself to not push it away, to not pretend that I'm fine, to really, really, really go deep. And I created space. So I know I was privileged enough to be able to do that. And what I have done is like, okay, I, will, I would take my morning off. Then in the afternoon, I would do the work that I was required to do. But like two or three hours, including admin work around inheritance, going through his things, taking care of the house in France, because then I went to France to take care of the house. And it really, really helped to minimize obligations and to just be. And another thing that was really a divine blessing, a friend of mine came to visit me in France, and I'm very grateful to her that she did. She realized that it's <laughs> that um, that it's good for me to not be alone. I would say if you have people in your life, in, invite them in, because sometimes when you are grieving, people don't know how to treat you. We do not have this culture of grief in our society. People sometimes feel like they are walking on eggshells. They do not know what to say to a grieving person. And there is no shame in asking for help. And if your friend is grieving, step in. Just come. Just visit. Just take some logistics or some mundane chores off their plate. It's, I'm so grateful to my friends who would check in on me and the friend who came to visit me um, without me needing even to ask for it. You know, like they really stepped up and they showed up. And for me, it taught me to accept help. So accepting help and asking for help is very, very important. Do not try to do this alone. Do not try to be a strong one. And I think my biggest transformation through all of this was softening. Softening. 
reprioritizing myself, my heart over work, obligation, purpose, and so on. And I realized that purpose has no meaning if my heart is not open. There is no point in being successful or having a lot of clients or anything like that, or even walking a spiritual path and being a leader in that space if you are not allowing your heart to soften and to break open. And that's why, to me, grief was a very purifying experience and a very humbling experience that like took me apart completely. And the last tool that I want to share is prayer. Uh, I think without prayer, I would not have found a new sense of meaning and purpose. Every night before going to bed, I would place my hands on my heart. And to me, I'm not in any way, you know, affiliated with any one religion. I connect to God directly. So please, for listeners, interpret it through the lens of your own spiritual and religious beliefs. You can do that in any uh, religious tradition or spiritual practice. It's the very idea of connecting with higher power. So before sleep, I will just place my hands on my heart and be like, God, please show me who I really am. Show me what am I truly meant to, to do here? Who am I really? That was my only prayer. And another one was, Anything that is not true in my life, remove it. If it's not my soul destiny, I do not want it, remove it. I said, I accept this grief. I do not like that this is happening. I do not know why I lost my father. I do not understand why he had to die, but I trust you. Show me what you want from me now. Why has this happened? What am I to learn through this? Reveal it to me. Show me. Use me. I do not know anymore what to do with myself. I give myself over to you. And that prayer of surrender and prayer of just sincerely asking, like, hey, show me what is going on. Help me understand. Show it to me. And also being ready for change, being ready to be rearranged. I was like, okay, if I'm not meant anymore to do coaching, I'm fine with it. If I am meant to do something else, if you want me to, I don't know, be a beekeeper in a village, I will do that. Just show me what you want from me. And so eventually some pieces started to drop in. And it's interesting, it was like a full circle moment. In a way, I'm back to the work I've been doing before he passed, but I'm back from a completely new vantage point. There's been a lot of refinement and recalibration, and I still pray every day. I think it has changed my relationship with higher power. From me asking for things, it's like, God, I want this, or, oh, yeah, let me manifest that. It has completely turned around into, what do you want me to do? What needs to be done through me, which is exactly what my father realized before dying. You know, he realized that he spent his whole life chasing goals, chasing success, becoming successful, making money, you know, achieving things, worldly accomplishments that people would normally be proud of. And he realized that his true purpose was to teach. His true purpose was to be a vessel, to share divine wisdom. He did not get a chance to teach and to be the vessel for wisdom, but I know now that he is guiding me from the other side so I can be a vessel on his behalf instead of chasing goals, chasing after things, asking for things and being like, why is it not happening? Being rather like, okay, I let go. I hand myself over. Use me. Here I am. So that was, those were the tools and the transformations that, um, that helped me. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And my last part of the question is a gift that came from the adversity. What do you think a gift that came from this challenge and adversity? 
what is coming now, and I, I did not prepare this as an answer, so it's quite spontaneous, is knowing who I really am. Knowing who I really am and reconnecting with God as reconnecting with God and with life. Really choosing to be alive, not being on the fence anymore, not living in my own little human ideas about what am I supposed to do here, but really having this soft heart, softening, connecting with my heart and through my heart, connecting to higher power and through that understanding who I really am. It's it's hard to describe with words. I think that gift is more like a cellular level knowing and cellular level transformation that just changes everything. It's just a different frequency, different attitude, different energy that I bring to life, that I bring to my work. But it is, but it is a gift, the gift of knowing who I really am, the gift of understanding what my priorities are, what truly matters, and living very closely to my heart. Thank you so much for that, Violeta. So if somebody's going through this loss or grief right now, uh, your, uh, my last part of the question is, what's your best advice that you can give? My Firstly, I want to say that if you're going through this, I see you. And I'm sending you a lot of compassion. And my, my advice for you is take the time you need. Go all in. Do not push it away. Do not try to be the strong one. Do not try to rise above it. Surrender to it. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but what I have learned is that it's pointless to try and manage grief because you cannot control grief. It's nonlinear. It comes and goes. It will take you on a journey. And I think grief always comes as a blessing. It might be hard to hear this right now. If somebody said it to me like nine months ago, I would have said, are you crazy? But now I know that it comes as a blessing. It comes to teach you about life. Grief is a teacher. Grief shows you who you are. It takes you to your depth. So my advice is make grief your friend. Go on a journey with it. Let it take you places. Let it take you into healing. Let it take you into a breakdown. Let it soften your heart. Let it show you who you really are. Befriend your grief. And do not think that you are supposed to grieve in any one specific way. Do not feel the need to justify your grief to anybody, to explain it, to manage it, to wish it away. I would say go all in, remove any need to understand, and just feel it. Feel it with your entire body. Because that's the journey. Well, thank you so much for coming into a gift from adversity, Violeta, from Germany. And thank you for sharing your story with our audience today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And may this be helpful to the ones who need this. Absolutely. And we have more guests coming uh, for a gift from adversity. I'm very thankful. And thank you again, Violeta, for being part of our podcast. Thank you. Thank you.